Amen. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you. You ever come to church distracted? That's good. That means I'm in good company. But there's one thing that we know that we need every time we come into this house, and that is to meet with the living God. Because when we meet with God, then we're changed and we actually can do what it is that we are on this earth to do, right? So that's what we're going to seek to do, and we're going to do so rapidly. Uh, The Bible is full. We're starting a new series today. Uh, Technically, it started last week, but I I set aside the first week. Uh, in order to uh, have our Father's Day service. But we're gonna pick up Kings and Prophets today. This is gonna be a series through the summer where we talk through different kings and prophets and understand how God interacted with them, how God used the prophets, what happened when we had good kings and evil kings that we see in the Old Testament and what that means for us today. And today we're gonna be talking about King Saul, the very first king that was set up. And we know that in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, you can go and look that God said that as the king was established, he needed to be about a few things. He said he, you know, must not have a bunch of wives. He must take care of the people. But hey, just know that this is going to be a thing. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find where Israel asks for a king. We've talked about this here before. I just want to give you a little background and context about where we're going. And what's interesting, there's some really difficult things and weird things and crazy things in the Bible, (laughs) especially the Old Testament. It's better than any movie you've ever seen. It's better than any other book you've ever read. It is full of some crazy stuff. And there's some things in the Bible where you see God interacting with people and with the world that kind of makes you scratch your head if you look at it from our perspective, Right? And there's a few presuppositions that we must have before we get too far into the crazy stuff. Here's the first thing you have to understand, that God made us, we did not make him, and he can do whatever he wants. Because he sees the whole picture and not a limited right now picture that we see. And it's important that we start there, otherwise what we do is we try to tell God how he's doing it wrong and why it's not okay that he did what he did. And then we are in this really weird place of like, the Old Testament doesn't really matter because it doesn't do it the way I want it to be done. Now, you're, you're in good company. We all do this. We all want God to do it a certain way, specifically our way. And so sometimes when we get into the Old Testament, we start hearing some crazy stuff like we will today. We'll scratch and go, I wonder why God did it like that. I probably wouldn't do it like that. Or that's not okay, God. You're not allowed to do that, don't you know? And so as we read some of these things, it's important that we start at the right place, okay? How many of you guys like loopholes? Anybody else? Yeah, no, I do too, also, right? Trying to get away. We talked about it this morning, right? You can opt out of some Child tax credit payments. I want to figure out the loophole. I want to figure out how to do it the way I want to do it. Because I tried to do it their way and it's dumb. So I want to find a different way around, right? We do this all the time. When you're a little kid, you learn loopholes real early. Technical obedience. Dad, technically I did what you said. (laughs) We're always looking for loopholes. In 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 a litigation society that we live in, loopholes are a thing. Lawyers make billions of dollars on loopholes. The reason our legal system is so jacked up is because of loopholes. Because we're always looking for technical legality. 
You ever heard somebody got off on a technicality? That just means that they didn't get caught all the way. They did the wrong thing. They just got off on a technicality. We love getting off on technicalities. And what happens is, I don't know if you're like this. We do this with God all the time, right? We read the Bible and we're like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this. And we do it the way that we think it should be done. And we kind of slide into the obedience, maybe most of the way. Like I mostly love that person. I mostly forgave them. I was mostly kind. Yeah, this relationship is mostly godly. Right? We're all <laughs> I paid most of my taxes. <laughs> so I didn't mean that one to be a joke. That was funny. That was good. Right? I, we, I, I didn't run most of the red lights. I mostly obeyed the speed limit. <laughs> We're always looking for loopholes. You go on uh, YouTube and catch a thing called Cotton Providence. There's this judge that uh, these, they run red lights and all this stuff, and he shows them on the screen. <laughs> you almost made it. I was mostly there. We like loopholes, and we do this in our faith all the time, right? We're going to look here in the scripture with King Saul because King Saul technically tried to obey. He technically did, right? He thought he was mostly obedient. If you look back, chapters one through 14 in 1 Samuel, we'll be in 1 Samuel 15 today. I'll give you a little background while you're turning there, okay? Because the context is important. I didn't want to talk that much about how we like technical obedience because it's uncomfortable. I'd rather talk about somebody else. First Samuel is, uh, records the establishment of the monarchy in Israel about 1050 BC. Samuel led Israel after the judges, right? We had a series of judges, leaders that God used to lead the nation of Israel, right? The nation of Israel would follow the judge. They would die and they would go off the rails and he'd raise up another judge and they would lead them. Both men and women would lead the country here and judges, as you see, right? And through these people, God led them with these judges. Samuel filled the role of judge and priest and prophet to the nation of Israel and he established the first king, now, if you go in 1 Samuel 8, you hear that Israel's crying out for a king. There's a number of reasons. They didn't think the successor to Samuel, his sons were wicked. They weren't doing the right things. They want to be like everybody else. So they asked for a king. And Samuel laments this. And he says, God, what do I do? And he says, well, give them what they want, but warn them. Warn them what's going to happen. And he does that. You can go read that in 1 Samuel 8. I don't want to spend a ton of time on the history because we won't get to the good stuff. Again, you can look at Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 20, where God talks about setting up the king. And what we find in the first 14 chapters is Saul's inability to do it the way God wants him to. He's impatient. That's his first problem, right? He doesn't, Samuel says, hey, go do this or that and then wait for me and we'll set this thing up together. Of course, Samuel doesn't get there in a timely fashion and Saul goes ahead and does it anyway without him. Right? He did what he was, the plan was, but he didn't wait. He was impatient. Pride. Pride was a problem for Saul. I know pride doesn't, not something you all deal with, but it was for Saul. 
And Saul had a difficult time not understanding that his way wasn't always the best way. He would make rash promises, he would make declarations, and it got his son in some hot water. And the thing that we pick up in chapter 15 is his last chance. Chapter 15, we find that all of his character, his bedrock character flaws, caused him to be rejected as king. And we're gonna look at how that happened. Here's what it says, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Samuel said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you as king over Israel, so listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now, I don't know about you, like when you're little and your dad or your mom says something directly, this is what I'm trying to tell you, listen up. You kind of, okay, this is gonna be important. When the Lord Almighty speaks, even more so, and he tells him very clearly what he wants him to do. He says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. He's referring to um, when they came up, right, they didn't have any water. He hits the rock, the water comes from the rock, and it's at a place called Rephidim, and what ends up happening is the Amalekites come up from the tail, and they come and attack Israel, This is where, as they fight the Amalekites, as long as Moses' arms are raised, they're winning, but as soon as his arms fall down, right, and this is where Aaron comes in, they prop up his arms so that they win the battle, but the Amalekites were merciless to the Israelites, and God had intentions to take care of them. He says, now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now this is the part where you go, that's not okay, God. I told you up front that there's some crazy stuff in here. God had intention, God, who created all mankind, had intention to destroy the Amalekites before and this is the way he intended to do it. And he told Saul, go and totally destroy everything. Now, I don't know about you. It seems fairly clear to me what he's supposed to do. The problem is Saul has a free will and he has a choice to make. So he gets very clear. God's instructions are always very clear here. Here's what he says. So Saul summons the men and he musters them. And here's what he does. He takes all the people. I'm going to paraphrase this next part so we can get to the, to the, to the next piece. He goes and he, do, he just gets after it with the Amalekites and he goes to one place, the rest of the men chase him down and they're, they're doing what the Lord had told them to do with the Amalekites. It says, we'll pick it up in verse seven, because they, they invited the Kenites to leave the Amalekites, right, because they lived together. The Kenites, Jethro, which was Moses' father-in-law, had showed kindness and so God had spared them from the annihilation. He said the Amalekites, not the Kenites. So they dismissed them and they went after the Amalekites. Here's what it says in verse seven. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah Ashur to the east of Egypt. He took, he took Agog, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I'm just trying my best here. Agog, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agog and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, these, were the, uh, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised in a week, they totally destroyed. Do you hear what happened? God gives clear instructions to 
Saul through Samuel. He says, I want you to totally destroy the Amalekite, everything, don't leave anything alive. Now, you could ask why, I don't want to. You could you can make all the arguments about why you think it's not okay, but this was the instruction that God gave. See, the problem is what Saul did and what we do is we decide which parts of God's instructions we want to obey because we don't understand the big picture. We don't always know the why behind it, and God is not required to give us the why. Did you know that? God doesn't actually have to give us the why. I don't like it any more than you do. I'm just telling you the circumstance. But we do this all the time. God had a reason and a purpose, according to his infinite wisdom, to accomplish his will this way. And Saul, all he had to do was say, yes, Lord, and go and do it. But what, he, what did he do? He saw that there were some good pieces. He's like, oh, I could use some fat cows and I could use some fat sheep and I could use all this. This looks pretty good to me. And hey, I got the king, right? I got the king. So he did mostly what God told him to do, right? He technically obeyed. Let's see what happens. Verse 10. Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Here's the problem. The word of the Lord came to Samuel in the background. Saul was about his partial loophole technical obedience to the Lord. But God had intention to let him know that he wasn't gonna get away with it. Because partial obedience is still what? Disobedience. It's not the first time you heard that sermon. And here's what we need to know, that the fruit and the serpent always gets us, just like it did Adam and Eve. Don't eat the fruit in the middle of the garden. The serpent said what? Ah, God's holding out on you, and hey, the fruit looks good. She's like, ah, the fruit looks good. I'm sure it'll be fine. Hey, it's no, but God will be, he'll be fine with it. He didn't really mean what he said. The same thing. Saul said, ah, but this stuff looks good. Why wouldn't he want? God would surely want us to keep the good stuff for ourselves. The fruit and the serpent got him too. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instruction. And Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord. And he goes on in verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul. But he was told, hey, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument to his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, listen, Samuel tells him what to do, the word of the Lord to him. He knows that he didn't do what he was supposed to do all the way. And then when Samuel meets him, here's what he says. The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Mostly. It doesn't say mostly in the scriptures. He says, I've done what you've asked me to do. See, what happens when we live in technical obedience, in loophole obedience to the Lord, and then we are confronted, there's already some check in us that knows we didn't do it right, and so what would he do? We're like, oh no, I did what I was supposed to do. He actually, he's acting like a three-year-old. And we do this so often. Here's, here's what he says. Samuel told him, he's like, so uh, what's up with those sheep that I hear? Meh. Man, he hears this bleeding of the sheeps. And he's like, 
Okay, hold on. Let me get this straight, bud. God said to totally destroy everything. Meh. Every time, I can imagine every time, every time those sheep are going, I'm doing it because I like the way it sounds and it makes the story better. Meh. Every time you, I, I feel like Sam or Saul is kind of tightening up just a little bit, right? Because he knows what the Lord told him, destroy everything completely. Meh. Oh man. Oh man. And he goes, he says, why do I hear these sheep? And Saul's like, oh, uh, the, the soldiers from the Amalekites, they brought them from them and they spared the best ones. Oh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Why do we over-spiritualize our disobedience as though somehow that makes it okay? We over-spiritualize it, don't we? We live in technical obedience and we try to prove and justify to ourselves and everybody else that somehow the way we did it was actually the right way, even though God said to do it different. Love your neighbor as yourself. As long as you mostly do it, we justify all day long why we don't love some people, but we do love some other ones. Forgiveness, mercy, kindness. He says, uh, but we totally destroyed the rest. <laughs> we technically did what he told us to do. Seems like he said, look, knock that off. He said, let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. Now, when the Lord gives you a word to do and then you don't do it and then somebody says, hey, I got you to tell you something else God told me last night. You have two responses. Either you are so prideful as Saul was, you think that it's another good word or you're fixing to get a spanking. And here's what, here's what Samuel says. He says, although you were, because Saul says, tell me, tell me what the Lord said. This will be good. He says, although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become, uh, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission. He says, go and completely destroy those wicked people. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And Saul says, hey, I did obey the Lord. He continues to justify his partial obedience because he is prideful and incapable of understanding that he has not done what he was supposed to do. You ever do that? No, not you, but people that you know. Not your kids, my kids. No, not my kids, other people. No, we all have this issue in our life with the Lord, don't we? You read something in the scripture and you're like, I like that first part, Lord, I'll obey that piece. Or I'll take this section of scripture and I'll apply it because it's gonna make me look good or feel good, but I'm not gonna do these other things because it's too hard, I disagree or I don't understand. And we falter, don't we? He says, but I did obey the Lord. In verse 20, I went on mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely, I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Come again. I completely destroyed. I did exactly what you told me and I brought back. Hold on a second. What? what? No, no, mom. I did what you said and you don't use the word but you use and like it was okay. Right. 
You can't obey God completely and bring back something if you were supposed to completely destroy. You know what I'm saying? You can't say I completely destroyed and then brought back something. You contradict yourself. We get in this trap all the time. I love Jesus and I don't love that person. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I can do what I want. I can live as the world wants me to and follow God at the same time. It's, it's, not, it's a contradiction. You can't do both. You can't completely obey God and technically obey God at the same time. You can't completely destroy the Amalekites and bring back their king. And then he goes and he tells them this. He said, because he tried to make the excuse that they were gonna use all these to sacrifice to the Lord. Again, that over-spiritualizing, his selfishness. He says, does, not, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Rebelling against God, having a loophole obedience, having partial obedience is the same as witchcraft. And arrogance, this gets a little close. This is, this is, this, this is uncomfortable for me. Arrogance is the same as idolatry. Because nobody in here be like, oh yeah, I'm an, I'm an idolater. No, no, I've got idols. We don't talk like that. But are you arrogant? Are you prideful? It's the same thing. He says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then Saul reaches out to grab him as he's leaving and he tears his robe. And in amazing prophet judge fashion, he's like, as you've torn my robe, so has the Lord torn the kingdom from you. <laughs> Super awesome. That's a, good, that's a good pastor move. You ripped a shirt. Oh, as you ripped my shirt, the Lord ripped you away from that. But that's what happens. Here's, here's the thing. For us, for us, pride is the precursor to partial obedience, which is total disobedience. Pride is the precursor to partial obedience, which is disobedience. It's like this. Romans 6 says it like this. He said, shall we, if grace abounds, shall we sin more? In other words, if you grow up in church, you're like, oh, God is gracious. There is grace for me, so I can do what I want because he forgives me anyway. We live like this all the time. The church is filled with people who know the grace of God, so they find the loophole. Oh, well, because there's the grace of God, I can still do whatever I want because he's gonna forgive me, right? And we believe that we can partially obey God, and that's acceptable. Now, you and I both know that we are completely incapable of being fully obedient, right? Every single day you say, oh, God, I'm sorry for, because you know that you did not fully obey God, and this is the reason that we have Jesus. The reason that Jesus is important. Could you imagine if Jesus was partially obedient to the cross? He did not, he did not take his, his position with God, something to be grasped, but he became partially obedient to the cross? That's not what it says. He became obedient even to death on the cross. See, the death of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus is the way to salvation and relationship with God. And our obedience is the foundation for discipleship and relationship with others. 
The obedience of Jesus is the way to salvation and relationship with God, and our obedience is the foundation of discipleship and relationship with others. So for us to accomplish the things that we have to accomplish, first, we have to walk in obedience to Jesus and then teach other people to walk in obedience to Jesus. Not partial obedience or loophole obedience, but actual obedience. Even when we don't understand, even when God doesn't tell us why, and even if we don't like it. Because how you feel doesn't matter. And I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. I really don't. I'm not an offensive person. I'm just trying to tell you, it doesn't actually matter how Saul felt about it or whether he thought the, the good stuff should be kept back. His job was to say, yes, Lord, and go and do it. And because he didn't, his relationship with God was broken. His relationship with others was broken. And it was because of his pride it started in the garden and it keeps going with us and here's where I want us to land. What if instead of searching for the loopholes in our faith and becoming partially or technically obedient, we just said yes to God, period, to love and forgive and have mercy and love justice and care for the orphan and widow, to bear one another's burdens and to lay aside our own righteousness for his. What if we woke up every day and cared more about the glory of God than our own glory and our own honor Saul said, hey, would you come worship with me and honor me in front of everybody else? Saul had the kingdom taken away because he couldn't figure out that the glory of God was more important than his own. What would it look like if we pursued only what God wanted? What if the purpose of obeying wasn't to be controlled by him, but to be in relationship with him? I'll leave you this. Philippians chapter three, Paul talks about his understanding that the way he thinks it should go and the way God wants it to go aren't always the same. And when he gave himself over to doing what God wanted only, he realized that he had this intimate relationship with him, which was the whole point, and that he would give up everything that had to do with his way in order to be in relationship with the Father. There are things that you will not understand in this world there are things that you want to know why to when you read the scriptures. There's going to be things that you think, oh, I can obey most of these things. And I'm telling you this, that partial obedience comes from a prideful heart. And that prideful heart will keep you separated from God and separated from other people. Full obedience now is the way to intimacy with God. And the first step is through Jesus, that obedience to receive his, his payment for our sins. And from there, we get to obey him together so that we might make disciples who love God more than themselves and change the world. We can be loophole Christians or we can be fully obedient followers of Jesus. I want to be the second one. I want us to be a church that is full of the second ones so that when someone comes and says, hey, they greet you. I obeyed the Lord completely. They don't hear in the background. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have taught us, God, that um, pride will destroy and just because we think something is better than what you say, it isn't. Lord, help us to learn that lesson today. Help us to make an assessment of our lives and walk in humility, not pride. Learning to say yes, period. 
so that you would be glorified above our own glory. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.